listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to, not going to say Titus, because it's not going to be Titus today, 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. The ushers are coming forward with Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can raise your hand, and uh, they will hand you a Bible. We'd love for everyone to have a copy of God's Word in their hand this morning to bring uh, on a regular basis. Bring your Bibles, bring notepads, pens, um, use the connection card you received to take notes and to follow along and to go home and be a Berean and study the Word of God, be in the Word of of God and love the Word of God. And, and we are um, going to look this morning from the book of 1 Peter on this exciting and historic day in the life of our church. So 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible at home and you feel free to take one of those Bibles home with you, that is a gift. That is the best gift you can ever receive apart from your salvation is the Word of God. And so take that home and read it and allow God's Word to transform your life by the power of His Spirit. On Friday nights... As a family, a tradition we have uh, had for, for a good number of years is make your own pizza night, and it was usually followed by a movie. And so we would make our own pizza, and here's just some of the uh, pizzas that we have made over the years, and we've had many people who've participated in this special night with us, out-of-town guests and folks from our church family, and, and, and this is just a special night of making our own pizza. However, a few weeks ago, Charlotte was... Was, was working the dough. She was rolling out the dough and put, getting it ready to put on the, on, on the pizza pans. And she's like, man, this dough just isn't right. Something's not right. And she struggled and she worked and she got it onto pans and we built our masterpieces as per usual. And, and uh, as it was baking, she kept going and checking it and the timer would go off. And she's like, man, this just isn't right. It's taken forever to brown. It's not cooking. It's not rising. What's going on here? And then all of a sudden she said, oh no, I forgot the yeast. Yeah, that's right. She has been making it for so many years. She does it off by heart, but, but a momentary lapse, and she forgot the yeast. And, um, and, and so we chewed through our pizza that night, uh, remembering fonder days of better tasting pizza. And ever since then, she has heard when, it's pe- when, when she says it's pizza night, and our son, wonderful son, Nate, we love him so much, he always continues. And mom, don't forget the Yeast, he reminds her of that, and he's like, I know, I've got it. You see, the right ingredients are really important. They are so important when it comes to baking, when it comes to preparing food, but even more importantly, the right ingredients are essential for the life of the church. And certain things, certain ingredients have to be in place in order for a local church, first of all, to truly be a biblical local church, And for a church to be all that God would want it to be. And we are in this series from the book of Titus called Hope for the Church. And we are studying, working our way through the book of Titus, and, and, and we're going to keep that theme even though we're jumping books today. Last week we saw in Titus chapter 1, we saw the vital ingredient in the local church for us uh, as a local church to be thinking biblically when it comes to the role of elders in the life of the local church. And today we're continuing that theme, but we're going to jump from what 
uh, Paul had to say in the book of Titus to what Peter has to say about the role of elders in the church in one of his letters, the letter of 1 Peter. And so this morning we are going to, to look at that in just a few moments. You see, if the church is going to be a biblical church, and if the church is going to be all that God desires for his church to be, there are certain things, ingredients, instructions that need to be in place in order for that to be a church that will truly bring glory and God's presence and God's blessing upon it. It's vital. It's very important. And we will see that here in this passage this morning. And so this morning we want to continue part two in this as far as thinking biblically when it comes to elders and disciples. Because we're going to see there is the role, the job, the characteristics, the character we've been looking at last week, we're going to look at today of the role of an elder, but it's also there's a responsibility for you as disciples, for each one of us in this. And it's vital that we think biblically, we know what God's word says, and we just don't consider it, but that we live biblically in this area. Not allowing culture not allow our own thinking and feelings and emotions to prevail, but allowing what God's word to rest in us and allow God's word to take root as we live it out and practice it in our lives and in our church. And to God, leadership in the church is a big deal. It is an essential ingredient to a healthy church and to a church that God blesses. Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ, is the one who wrote the, the letter or the book of 1 Peter as well as 2 Peter. And he's writing, they believe, from Rome as he continues on in ministry. And, and this letter would have then been written and then it would have been taken and sent out to the various churches in five Roman provinces. So this was a letter from the Apostle Peter, a disciple of Jesus, writing this letter to churches and to church leaders, and it would have been distributed through Roman provinces in Asia Minor. Now, this was about 30 to 35 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So some time had taken place, and Peter was now a very well-seasoned pastor, elder, church planter, establisher of, of leaders in the local church throughout Asia Minor. It is believed that two years after Peter wrote this letter, he was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. Martyred, and it, history tells us he was crucified upside down by the Emperor Nero as part of his persecution against Roman Christians. And so Peter is writing these letters with a sense of urgency and great concern for the church. He sees what is ahead on the horizon and he knows that it's not good. And I believe very much, folks, as we look at the horizon, as we look at our nation, we look at the laws that are being passed, we look at our culture, we look at the mindset, as we look even at what is happening within the word or into the, into the church of Jesus Christ in North America and I believe that there is trouble on the horizon. And so with urgency and concern, we want to look at the word of God with a similar urgency and concern that Peter wrote this passage here in 1 Peter chapter 5. And so we're going to read from the word of God here this morning, starting at verse 1. And it starts out like this. So I exhort 
And, and, and we're going to just stop there. That word exhort means pay attention, listen up. It's not like just, eh, if you want to have, he's like, no, this is important. I adjure you. I charge you. Get this right. Time is short. Persecution is intensifying. So he's saying, so I exhort you, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witnesses of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so as we consider God's word this morning, we can see at least three vital ingredients for the church to have hope today. For there to be hope for the local church. Hope for the universal church, whether it be in Canada or around this world. Three integral fundamental elements that must be present for a church to experience God's blessing and God's presence. And the first thing we see here in this passage is that elders are to take their role seriously. Elders are God's plan for leading his church. And what is happening today, this is really important, that we are establishing and appointing or installing our own elders here. This is a big deal that is taking place. Just might think, well, it's to have signing authority and it's so you can be autonomous and you're no longer under the umbrella of, of, of Hope Church in Oakville. No, this in the heavenly realms, this biblically is a big deal to have local elders, qualified men that God is appointing and God's hand is upon. Last week, we talked about who can elder, who can be an elder in a church, and we looked at the character of the elder from Titus chapter one. And you can go online and you can have a listen to that message. God's word is very clear that an elder just cannot be anyone. It just can't be a random pick through the, the church directory. It just can't be, and I've seen this happen. It's like, oh, they haven't served for a number of years. Let's phone them and tell them they're gonna be an elder now for the next couple years in the church. Or it just simply can't be, oh, that person is wealthy or that person is successful or that person has done that, make them an elder. God's word is very clear on who can be elders. It just can't be anyone. And today we're going to see how an elder is to lead. We're going to look more at the heart of, a, of an elder in the local church. And I am so thankful for our sending church, Hope Bible Church in Oakville, that out of the gates, as we started, be five years ago this fall, they said, Meldon, you need to appoint elders. You need to find elders. You need to train them up. But Meldon... Don't rush this decision. It is very important. And over the years, I have talked to pastors. Over the years, I have experienced and lived with, at times, the mistakes that have been made in the past by the laying on of hands of appointing elders that are not biblically qualified individuals or are biblically qualified men for those positions. This has been a long process, a lengthy process, one that has required a lot of patience for 
Don and for Jason and for Nina and Elaine, as well as for Charlotte and I, as well as for our elder board in uh, Hope Oakville that has been overseeing things. And yet this has been a carefully and prayerful journey for us. And today does not mark the end of the training and the development for Don and Jason and for myself. This is just the beginning. As well in God's timing and through much prayer and seeking the Lord, we we hope to add additional elders to the team as God sees fit and as God provides in that area. And so we see here that elders are to take their role seriously. In verse 1, we see, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is about to be revealed. Now, a lot of times when we read some of this in Scripture, you just kind of like, we can go blah, 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 blah. Let's get to the good stuff. And, and we think, okay, what, what, what is he saying here? Like, let, let's dig this out a little bit. And, and, and we just kind of like, well, well, what's he saying? He's just kind of establishing himself a little bit. He's establishing some of his credentials and reminder to them. What's Peter saying? He, first of all, he's saying, I exhort you, elders, the elders among you, as a fellow elder. Hey, he said, I'm one of you. I'm a fellow, fellow elder. I'm not, and, and, and I'm actively involved. I'm actively doing this. I'm not some armchair Sit in a comfy recliner kind of a person, elder pastor here now telling you what to do. I'm not some heady author dispensing some theological and biblical advice to you. No, Peter was a well-seasoned, well-traveled, serving the Lord for 30, 35 years And he's still serving in the trenches. That's why he's sending this letter out. He'd like to go see these churches and talk to these elders, but he can't. He can't be in more than one place at a time. And so he's telling them, hey, this is difficult work. He's like, I'm a fellow fellow elder, and what I'm telling you, I'm preaching it right back at me. This is for you, but it's also for me. He's talking about... There's pitfalls and there's abuses in this area. There's temptations. And he feels the pressure and strain with this position and this responsibility. And and he says, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. What is that statement? Witness of the sufferings of Christ. It's important we see this. Peter's saying, hey, listen up to this. I was there. Most of you were not. I was there when Jesus was crucified. I saw him beaten. Now, he also didn't say, and I was a denier. He didn't want to kind of reminisce on that part. But he says, I saw, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I saw what he went through. But I also saw his victory. I saw him rise again. I saw him ascend up into heaven. I witnessed his death, the suffering, but also the resurrection victory. And then he says, and I witnessed something else. Look again, verse 1. Take a look at this in the word of God as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. You say, okay, so so what is is that? Again, we can skip over this, but we can't because this is so awesome and this is so important that we get this and we understand this. When he says a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, what's he talking about? What he's talking about there is The transfiguration that that you read about in Matthew 17. You can go home and you can read that passage um, later on this afternoon. I think we even have the location for it on the screen for you, if you can just put that up. Where, Where he, where Peter, James, and John went up into the mountain with Jesus, and what took place there? Jesus was transfigured before them. Jesus was glowing. They were given a glimpse 
of who Jesus was before he came to this earth, his pre-incarnate state, and who Jesus is today up in heaven, and what Jesus will look like when he returns for his church. And he says, I saw him. I saw him in his glory. I got a glimpse of this Jesus, his magnificence, his beauty, and it was awesome. He says, I saw the glory that will one day be revealed. I saw what we're all going to see one day. And it was amazing. And he says, and, and, and if you continue to read in Matthew 17, it's kind of interesting because he ends up, what does Peter say? He's just loving that mountaintop experience. And what's he saying? Hey, let's build some tents. Let's stay here for a while. Let's settle down. And I never want to leave. And he found out there's a mission to accomplish. And so they couldn't stay up there. But he got this glimpse. He saw the glory that will one day be revealed. And we get so downtrodden at times and so discouraged and we're just focused on the here and the now and the junk in our lives and the stuff that's happened in our family, the things we see in culture and the discouragements and the health issues, the body that's breaking down. We see all of these different things. And, and Peter's reminding us, no, there's glory that's going to be revealed and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Don't live for this world. Don't live for the here and now. Get your eyes fixed on what is yet to come. And that's his heart. That's what he's sharing with here. It's from this basis that he's wanting to remind us as followers of Christ that glory is coming. Glory will eventually one day be revealed. So don't forget it. And then if you jump down to verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter picks up a common theme that we see throughout the New Testament that there will be heavenly rewards that will be given to God's faithful servants, leaders, followers, disciples in the church. There will be rewards that will be handed out. And he reminds leaders, he reminds you as el these elders, remember, there's going to be a reward. But remember that one day we will all stand before God. Every human being that has ever lived on this face, on the face of this earth, will stand before God one day and give an account for, a detailed account for your life. My wife, for a good number of years, Charlotte was an auditor for the federal government. And you don't want to get audited, don't, do you? No, you don't. Like when you find out you're being audited and you've got to bring all the books, all the records, and she's told me at times the detail that they would go through when they were doing an audit on someone, especially if it was a questionable uh, finance, uh, financial practices that were happening. They would go through in such fine detail. And so we don't like accountants or we don't like auditors very much in, in, in that regard oftentimes. And she knew it. But one day we will all give a detailed account before God. Everything secret will be brought out into the light. Even our motives for doing the good that we did will be exposed. That will be for every leader. That will be for every follower. That will be for every person who's even rejected Christ. And we will be judged on that basis. That's in the word of God. This is serious. This is why this is important. In Hebrews 13, 17, we are told that elders, leaders, 
in the church watch over the souls of the people. And they will give an account one day before God for the souls that have been entrusted into their care. In James chapter 3, verse 1, you can write down that passage, it won't be on the screen, but James 3, 1, it says, teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Our words and our works, all of it will be judged. And what we see here is that leaders, elders, pastors will be judged with a greater weight. I mean, I've been sitting and resting on that thought throughout the course of this week and and, and, and even this morning, I said to Don and Jason, I said, after you hear what I'm preaching today, you may want to quit before you agree to this. I may want to quit. This is a big deal. Folks, being an elder in the church, being a pastor, being an elder isn't just a way to volunteer in your community. You can't see it like that. It's not that. It's not like volunteering to help your kids in, in, in play, coach them in hockey or in Boy Scouts or Girl Guides or, or volunteering with one of our local missions here in town. Eldering is a calling, an appointment that God takes very seriously. For pastors, it's not just a career choice or option. It is an appointment and a calling from God. It's a big deal. It's important. And Peter says that when the chief shepherd returns, Jesus himself, he will reward the faithful work. With a crown, it says, what does it say? That will not fade. Athletes in those days in, in the Olympic games and the other games and the Greek games that they would have would compete and, and the winners would receive a wreath made out of leaves that would eventually fade, wither, crumble, and, and die. But he says, you will receive a crown, a wreath, that will not fade. It will be made in a very precious, in a very beautiful way. And Peter is saying, as you remain faithful, as you faithfully lead, for us as disciples, as we faithfully follow, you will receive a crown that will not fade. And faithful leaders and faithful disciples will then be given the incredible opportunity and privilege of taking that crown and throwing it at the feet Jesus, what a moment that will be in worship and gratitude in saying, it was an honor to serve you, Jesus. It was an honor to serve you. I'm not worthy, but thank you. So it's a serious responsibility. Elders are to take their work seriously. And, and now it even tells us what they are to do. It gives some more instruction here in verse 2. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Elders are to take their role seriously, and that means they are to shepherd with great love. Elders are to shepherd with love. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The Bible teaches that people are like sheep. Now, honestly, that's not the most flattering animal to be compared to, is it? I mean, why couldn't he be chosen, you know, like a stallion or a lion or an eagle, you know? I mean, those are some pretty, pretty awesome animals in the animal kingdom. But no, what are we called? Sheep. Sheep are not very smart. In fact, sheep are dumb. 
some of the dumbest animals apparently uh, in the animal kingdom, next to cats. Um, <laughs> and I have one, but I would still have to agree. Um, boy, that hurts saying that. We have a cat still I'm in denial. Uh, but, but sheep can't be left unattended. Sheep need to be cared for. It requires a great deal. Sheep require a great deal of, of care and attention. They need to be watched. They need to be led. They need to be tended to. Because on their own, they're just going to wander away. And they're not going to find their way home. They easily get disoriented, confused. They struggle to find their own food and their own water. They're not going to eat healthy. That's like your children. They're needy. And they're quite helpless. Recently, I saw this picture on social media and did a little, little research on it. And, and uh, this was a sheep that wandered off in Australia. They called him Shrek was his name. Shrek the sheep. He wandered off and miraculously, they say, survived, they figure, for six years. And when they found it, they believed he was only probably days or a week away from his own death. When they sheared great big Shrek, the sheep, they took off 96 pounds of wool and other matter. Half of its body's weight, body's weight. they actually had to, to, to put him under in order to be able to shear him properly. Now, we might not like the comparison of being called sheep, but it's so true. In so many ways, we as sheep, as God's children, as disciples, we need to be fed regularly the word of God. We also need to be aware that there's predators that are out there looking to devour us. As God's sheep, we need to be fed the word of God and we need to be protected from the wolves that are around us, sometimes coming to us in sheep's clothing. What did Jesus tell Peter on the beach in John 21? After Peter had his denial, after the cross, after the resurrection, and that morning in John 21, love that scene, love that scene, because it just shows that there is hope for the biggest failures. And there it was, as Jesus and Peter were talking together, what did Jesus end up telling Peter three times? He said to him, he said, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, take care of my sheep. Peter, take care and feed my sheep. Three times he tells us this. Three times Peter denies and three times he tells them, Peter, this is what you are to do. This is what you are called to do. Feed my sheep. Take care of them. And so we like sheep, we all like sheep who've gone astray. We get distracted easily. We get disoriented, we get pulled away by the pleasures and the pull of this world, and we forget that we are headed towards heaven. We forget of the glory that's awaiting us, and we get so concentrated on living for our own glory here and now. We get so disoriented. We get caught up in the philosophies around and we get strained away from the shepherd and from the truth of the word of God. We get, uh, get, get straight away with the philosophies or from even our own heart in, in what our heart is telling us, our fleshly nature within us, the things we see and are part of in the workplace. And we just eat this kind of culture up and it's not good for us. 
And we flee from the God that we love. We take off from the good shepherd and we fall into trouble and temptation. But then we have Jesus. Who is Jesus? The chief shepherd. The one who came to this earth and lived a perfect life. Who died that sacrificial death on the cross. And so for anyone who believes in, relies on, entrusts their life to, we become one of his own sheep. We come into his flock. We are part of his family. And what does the chief shepherd do? He appoints under shepherds. He says there are to be under shepherds, elders in the local church that are to care, are to love, and to lead like Jesus. To care for the sheep that have been entrusted to them. The chief shepherd loves us so much. He loves us so much and he's appointed. And he appoints elders and pastors to lead and to love like Jesus. To give leadership to the local church. This is why elders need to take their role seriously. And you as disciples, you need to see this is a serious role and an important calling from God. Elders are to shepherd with love, feeding, folding, protecting, leading. And this is all done knowing that the sheep will wander off from time to time. But as shepherds, they are in love to bring them back, to encourage, to challenge, to take care of them. It means that the shepherds are to get in with the sheep, not lead them from the front only, but to be with the sheep, getting their hands dirty in caring and walking with the sheep and knowing the sheep, not lording their authority over them we see here, not the submit to me, I'm an elder, submit to me, I'm a pastor. Sheep don't respond well to that and neither do humans. But leading willingly with love, not because they have to, not because no one else will, so I guess I'll do it. Not for shameful game, not doing it for money, not doing it for power, not doing it for position. But sheep end up coming to love the shepherds that care for them. And it is my prayer that this church, that the elders, the pastor, just me and future pastors that are part of this church would always love and serve and care deeply for the sheep that God has entrusted to us here. And that you, as the sheep, would come to grow in your love, in your trust, in your following of the under-shepherds that God has appointed. And like Greg said today, such a good word to be praying regularly, daily, for these elders, for their wives, for their children. Here's something else that elders are to do. Eagerly giving oversight. We see this is important. Eagerly giving oversight. Verse 2. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. And here we glean from here, but also from other areas in the New Testament when it comes to the Word of God, four important roles of an elder. And this is something that, that we teach in our um, Hope Church Essentials class. And, and it's the four Ds that are so important. The doctrine, the direction, the discipleship, and discipline of the church. This is something that elders are to be a part of and, and to be leading in. in. In the area of doctrine, believing that teaching is important, the teaching of the word of God and protecting the right 
truths from the word of God, looking for false teaching, being able to identify that and able to deal with those who would be promoting or believing a false doctrine. This means that knowing and being able to teach the word of God and Bible doctrine, able to identify false teaching that may come and will come into the life of the church. It means giving direction to the church, seeking God in the area of making sure that the decisions and, and, and ensuring that the church is consistent with the purposes and the four pillars that we uphold here as a church. In the discipleship, overseeing the overall growth and development, the mature, spiritual maturity within the church, caring for the spiritual health of the church as well as discipline. God's word tells us that church discipline is an important deal. That discipline confronting and dealing with unrepentant sin is important in the life of the church. And, and, and there's some basic scripture verses and there's more that are on the screen there that, that you can even write down that will give some guidance in this. And if you could just give those verses, uh, I think it's the next one there. And so elders are to take this role seriously this is something that God has commended for elders. But now in verse 5, we see that uh, Peter now turns away from the elders and he gives some further instructions. And, and he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And here's the second thing that we see as important here. Disciples are to place themselves under the elders. And so disciples, elders are, take, are to take their role seriously, but now disciples are to place themselves under the elders. And what Peter is doing here is he's pretty confident as he's writing this that there are going to be people in every culture, in every generation, in every part of this world that are going to struggle with this idea of elder headship and leadership in the life of the church. And he's addressing a group of people and he's calling it the youngers, are ones that can often struggle with this the most. The youngers can be young in age or younger Christians, disciples, even other leaders who, who want to charge ahead, who, who have ideas and filled with energy and excitement. And, and yet it says the youngers are to be subject to the elders. And yet we can easily be so impatient or downright rebellious. Say, so who are you telling me what to do? I'm smart. I'm smarter than you. You may very well be smarter, but this is a role that God has given that we understand authority. I remember when I started in ministry a good number of years ago, I went on staff with a very seasoned senior pastor. He had planted a number of churches and was a godly, humble man. And here am I, this young buck out of, out, of, out of college and just ready to go. And at times I come into his office all excited about something and let's roll in this area or let's do something. You need to talk about this and, and all of this. And, and there was just this slow and steady leadership that sometimes drove. Like, I can't believe he doesn't see this. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking this, I'm not saying that to him, but I'm just, you know, raring to go. But over those years, I saw how important it was. I saw the wisdom that was there. I saw the guidance that he provided for me and for the church. But oftentimes, I didn't see that right away because I just saw my own energy and excitement, enthusiasm and ideas. And I believe that before there can be a great leader that God can use in a great way, that great leader has to be a great follower, a follower of 
an older leader and learn. And so here, Peter's addressing the youngers. He's saying, be subject. That means to place yourself under, to get under those in authority. Not just the outside with your lips, aye, aye, sir, yes, 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 but on the inside, it's like, you know, and inside you're just boiling over. It's, it's agreeing with them with your lips, but also with your heart, with the inside. And sometimes getting the heart there can take time, and it takes humility. I heard this statement this week. I thought it was so good. You can say your peace, but then live at peace. Bring your ideas, bring your questions, bring your suggestions, bring it to your leaders, bring them to me. Say your peace, but then live at peace and pray that the leaders would make wise and godly decisions. Your leaders will make mistakes. They will, they have, and they continue to do so. Grant them mercy and forgiveness when they do. But this isn't just for youngers. This is really for all disciples. All disciples, we are to place ourselves under godly leadership in the local church. And, and this is something that, that we, we also see from the New Testament. And, and we see here that, that in the local church, within the church in Kelowna, in the church in this region in the Okanagan, there's not to be floaters or free agents when it comes to disciples within the church. And today we hear from a lot of people, they say, I don't need church. I can love Jesus. I don't need to be committed. I don't need to go. I can go when I want, where I want, if I want. Not a big deal. I don't need to submit to anyone. The local church, folks, is the primary gathering and connection point for God's children. It is important. Can you be a Christian without being a part of and being connected to a church? Yes, Yes, of course you can. Can you be a healthy, growing, maturing, multiplying disciple without being connected to a local church? No, you cannot. And that's not me saying that this is God's word. We see this throughout the New Testament that we are to be committed to the local body of believers. It's God's will. It's God's plan for his children to be actively involved, which is more than just coming to a service once a week, but to be actively involved, engaged, committed, sacrificing, looking for opportunities to outdo others in our love, in our service. And I'm so thankful for all the things that happen outside these walls, that happen to love, love and encouragement that, that takes place. So vital, so important in the body of Christ. But no floaters, no free agents when it comes to the church, but committed. Committed to the mission of God, serving Locking arms together, serving and sacrificing together. And when we gather together like this for worship on a Sunday morning, it's where God's glory is put back on display. It's where God's word is proclaimed and we're encouraged and we're exhorted and we're challenged. Sometimes we're rebuked. We have our minds renewed, our hearts revived. This is God's plan. This is Everything put back into the order in the way that God would want. This is his plan and this is his desire for us as his disciples. And yet you see in our culture and you see at times in our own lives this rebellion towards leadership. It's in each one of us. And we live in a culture where it seems like rebellion is nurtured, even celebrated. Rebellion against authority. 
Rebellion against authority has no place in the child of God. It's not to be a part of our lives. And whether that be church authority, whether that be government authority, our teachers, our employers, we're to be under their authority. We're to submit to our leaders. And so youngers, we're all disciples, are to place ourselves under godly leadership in the local church. I place myself under Don and Jason. They are elders and leaders over me. I'm not their boss. There's a plurality of eldership here where together we elder and pastor one another. And so youngers, but all disciples, we're to place ourselves under godly leadership. And yet, what's the biggest problem in leadership today? What's the biggest thing that's killing our churches and killing our ministries and, and, and just killing us all over the place? It's pride. It's pride. And what's the biggest problem in submission and submitting to our leaders? It's pride. And what's the solution to both? It's humility. And that brings us to our last point here today. Last vital ingredient is together daily clothe ourselves with humility. Look at the last part of verse five. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, he's now turning, this is all of you. Elders, youngers, all of you, everyone. In this prideful and rebellious culture, we are to live differently. Where our pride and our ways, our fight back, our desire to demand our ways and and, and the way that we want is oftentimes celebrated. That's what we see in our culture, and yet we're told here, clothe yourselves in humility. This means as you get up in the morning and you go to the drawer, hopefully put on some clothes, appropriate clothes. You have to dig into that drawer every morning, and it's usually towards the back because it's going to be hard to find. It's going to be difficult. And you dig towards the back, and you find humility, and you put it on. And you put that humility on and say, God, would I be a humble servant of yours today? Would I clothe myself daily with humility? You do that as a leader. You do that as a follower. You do that as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a student, as an employer, as an employee, as a neighbor. We dig in that drawer and we put on humility. Choose to consider others better than ourselves. Choose to put on a Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, Culture and mindset every day. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, clothe yourselves in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Let each of you look out not for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Think how you can outdo one another in showing love. We are to clothe ourselves in this way. Choose to obey those that God has placed in in authority over you. Choose not to retaliate, but have a teachable spirit. I must say, when there is abuse taking place, though, little caveat there, when there is illegal activity and abuse that is happening, you do not fall under the humility and just receive that. It needs to be reported. It needs to be dealt with. But it's choosing to have a submissive, obedient spirit, knowing that God, this is serious. I mean, look at what it says there. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Understand this, that in the mornings where you're just putting on your normal clothes and you see humility back there and say, no, I'm not going to put it on today. I'm going to put on my own clothes and I'm just going to go out and I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and no one's going to tell me what to do. You know what happens in that day? You are not going to live that day in the glory and in the blessing of God. In fact, you're going to live that day in opposition where God will oppose you. You start thinking you're so awesome and pride starts swelling up, God in that moment says, I now oppose you. What it looks like is going on in your life may be successful in your eyes, but not in God's eyes. This is serious. Like you think about, you want to be in opposition to the God of this universe? Allow pride just to run rampant in your life. Humility. Clothing ourselves, understanding daily what Christ, what's the best remedy for pride? It's humility, it is the gospel. Again, coming back to the cross and what Christ has done for us in forgiving us of our sins, taking the wrath that we deserve upon himself. When we are filled with pride, when we we may even temporarily end up feel empowered. And people say, you go guy, you go girl, you're awesome. Look at you taking a stand, look at, look at who you are. The days that we think we're winning like that, we're actually losing. We don't wanna be in opposition to God. I mean, it, it doesn't even say that God will be neutral towards us in that day when we choose pride and, and not humility. It says he is in opposition. Those are serious words. Everyday difficulties and temptations will come that will tempt us towards pride. Hourly it will come. Okay, every few minutes it can come. We'll be tempted to solve problems in our way and treat people the way that we think they deserve to be treated rather than God's way clothe ourselves. Go into that drawer every morning and say, God, I choose to clothe myself with the humility. Help me to be able to do this. You want to, and, and this is the way, what does he say? What does God give to the humble? What does he give? Grace. You want to experience God's presence and God's grace in the fullest measure? Humility. Humility. These last few weeks we've looked at and considered God's word And we've seen the beauty of God's word. We've seen the beauty of God's plan and design for the church. We looked a little bit last week, God's plan and design even for marriage in submission and in sacrifice. And we see that in the life of the church. We've talked about the chief shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. We've been talking about under shepherds laying down their lives in caring in serving and protecting and feeding and loving and thinking of the sheep in their care. And together, we consider the words of God to love and pray for and serve and submit to those who God has placed in authority over us, living together, arm in arm, in humility. And so I wonder today, as we bring this to an end, how am I doing it following? How am I doing it obeying my leaders? Are you a joy to lead or are you a pain in the butt? You know. You know. You know when that pride and when that 
Arrogance is rising up. Are you a joy to lead? You ask yourself that question. Or are you official, an official member of the royal opposition? Opposing leaders all the time. Even when it comes to our governments. Oh, we sure don't like at times what's going on in Victoria or in Ottawa or in Washington. Do we pray for our leaders? Do we pray for God to be at work in their lives? Do we pray for the leaders that God has entrusted over us? Remember, as leaders, leaders will be judged on how they lead, but you and I will also be judged on how we follow and have followed over the years the leaders God has entrusted. Is there some areas and some people we may need to repent and confess or forgive? Maybe you've been the result of some bad under-shepherds in your life and you need to forgive them for leading you and not caring for you in the way that God's word says. But as we daily clothe ourselves as leaders, as disciples, as youngers, as each one of us, as we clothe ourselves with humility, serving the Lord together, giving him our time, our treasure, our talents, being a part of the mission that we are, the reason why we are still alive, the reason you're still alive is to make a name for yourself and to make yourself glorious and to live a fruitful and faithful life here simply on this earth. It is for the mission of God. And we lock our arms together in the mission of God and experience his power and his presence and his freedom as we dress ourselves daily in humility towards one another. Would we pray for one another in this? Would we encourage one another? Would we encourage and exhort one another on to love and to good works, praying daily for one another? Folks, when we see this happening in the life of the church, and this is the prayer that we are asking for and believing God for here at Hope Bible Church, here in this city, in this region, as we are living this out, there is great hope for the church today. There is great hope for you and for me and for our families, for marriages, for our relationships, and there's great hope for our world.